One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we will be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz12 on DraftKings Twitter and in OWS Discord. And today, I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. What's up, guys? How are we doing? All right. (laughs) Yeah. I feel I like believe, I can't believe it's week 16, dude. I, like I that's nuts. Yeah. I mean, just wild. Yeah. Like writing that in my notes today, I was just like, I did double check. I was like, wait, it's like legit week 16. It's crazy. This is but, the fantasy yeah. Super Bowl in most years is this week. Damn. Well, yeah. It's wild. When we were talking a little bit pre pod too, just like, lamenting uh lex's best ball teams and you know just like the the guys that are on the covid list and stuff i mean it's just wild right now with it being the the playoffs and stuff like that for for fantasy and then we we were also kind of talking how it's like i feel like the whole fantasy industry is just like a little tired because of all this covid news and jess over here is like keeping track of all this stuff in the the workbook i mean it's just we're between the end of the year and all this COVID stuff going on. It's definitely, we've reached the grind point, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're here for, for you guys tonight, the listeners. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to try to bring it. With that, we will be talking about Baltimore at Cincinnati, Tampa Bay at Carolina and Detroit at Atlanta. So Baltimore makes it back in our lineup this week. We had a really productive discussion on Green Bay Baltimore last week. It's what helped me uh, get on a first place lineup and have a a good lineup. Otherwise, I stacked uh, Huntley with Mark Andrews and then brought it back with Devante. I felt really good about that. Props to you guys for helping get me on those guys. I felt really, really strongly about that after the pod. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, obviously then Baltimore is fresh out of being in that great game environment and kind of needed to have that, uh, in week 15 on the other side of the ball, we've got Cincinnati who not too different than green Bay. They've got the pieces to produce, uh, but usually won't get really aggressive unless they're pushed. So I think what I'm kind of curious about going into this is could this potentially play out similarly to Green Bay at Baltimore and why. So starting on the Cincinnati side of the ball, they like to run a pretty balanced offense, but they want to run the ball. Uh, that though, they're going to have a bit of a tough time doing against this top rated Baltimore defense. So why don't we start there? I know a lot of times we talk about quarterback first, but let's just talk about this run matchup and see if they'll be able to do anything and we'll kind of move on from there. So Lex, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, with, when you have like Mixon, I mean, he has the talent to break, you know, a bad matchup, but for the most part, we've just seen time and time again, this year, Baltimore just kind of held 
most of these run games in check. Like I don't even see like one, I think Dalvin's maybe the only one that even went over a hundred yards and most of them are, you know, 70, 50 or below. So it's, it's definitely a tough spot. You know, they're going to give mixing the ball, like even in a bad spot, he's probably going to see somewhere around like 15 carries or 13 carries minimum. Um, and he's got one of the, I think I wrote too, he has like the highest percentage of his team's rush attempts inside the 10 and five this year. So he might not be getting them as frequently as like someone like Jonathan Taylor, but he at least as you know, and Cincinnati's uh, team, he's going to be the one that gets those high value touches. Um, yeah, it's tough. Like Baltimore's fifth in defensive rush DVOA. You know, Mixon's had a string of games where he's really not scored well. I think I wrote, yeah, he has 25 plus DK points in six games, and he scored 10 touchdowns in those games. And in his other games, he's basically under 13 or 14 DK points in every single one, just because his his role is like basically, is he getting in the end zone or is he putting up like 60 rush yards with like two catches? So it's not the greatest spot for Mixon, but like again, if if you're expecting like points in this game, then like that's a way to play a probably an under own guy it's just like you're you're betting on him breaking a tough spot and maybe uh cincinnati jumping out to control and being able to feed mix him upwards of like 20 25 carries because they could do that if they are you know in control and stuff it's just no one's really been able to do that against baltimore this year um and especially with all their secondary injuries it's just easier to attack them through the air so that would be like my first instinct in terms of where you would want to start when thinking about this game but sure when you have like a guy like Mixon, like that is a game breaker type player in terms of he can break off some big plays and, or he could fall into the end zone a couple of times, but um, it's definitely the tougher spot of like the, what we'll talk about with the Cincinnati offense. Yeah. And Mixon's banged up a little bit too. And I, I wonder if that's kind of been hindering him these past couple of weeks. He did take advantage of his easy part of the schedule there, like the games against the jets uh, Steelers. Like he did face a bunch of really weak run defenses and he was able to produce uh, he did get what 50 something yards and a touchdown against Baltimore last time they played, but he had no targets. And I think that's kind of the main thing with me on this backfield is they seem to be using P Ryan more in the pass catching role and Mixon's role has been reduced in that. So I'm not really touching this backfield. I mean, the, you got the Baltimore defense allowing the fewest rushing yards, fewest adjusted line yards this year. Uh, which means Cincinnati's facing the third toughest net adjusted line yard matchup this week. So I, I'm not touching the backfield, especially with all the, the injuries in the secondary for Baltimore and that they're just easier to torch. And we can get to that once we get to the, the passing side, but this game, the way it lines up, like that both teams are good at stopping the run. Both teams do allow quite a bit in the passing game. I think Cincinnati has the better set of weapons to work with in this especially on their passing side. Uh, and this last, last time they played, this game was a 41 to 17 game. Cincinnati blew them out in Baltimore and now they're at home. So, I mean, we'll see, see what happens here. <laughs> yeah. I would say even too, like one of the Baltimore's weaknesses against running backs has been like through the air a little bit, which hasn't been like significant, but they do allow like the ninth most running back receiving yards, but Mixon isn't even being used like primarily in that way. He's mostly, um, like seeding that work to like P Ryan, maybe Chris Evans at times. So it's like, even last week, like, you know, Jones caught a touchdown, Dylan score, but it's like, they kind of just cannibalize each other because there's not usually many running back DK points like available, you know, to running backs versus Baltimore. So if you're like splitting some of the work, then it's just making it tough to like put up a score that you really need. Well, he had zero targets against Baltimore last yeah. game. It's, it's 
he's, I don't know, he's, he's done for the year as far as I'm concerned. Like he's already had his, <laughs> he's got tough matchups lately. And I, I tried to play him last week against Denver because Denver had allowed a few things and then that just kind of didn't work out. So I, I'm, I'm off the mixing boat. Yeah. I did that a few weeks ago. I think it was, was when they played uh San Fran maybe. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, he's still got the role, still got the the touchdown upside and yeah, kind of the same thing as all right, well, that didn't, <laughs> didn't work out so well. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate with, if he was seeing four or five targets a game, then I would feel decent about him in this spot, at least as kind of a leverage play. But yeah, since that it just hasn't been there whatsoever, I think, you know, you could potentially still play him in mass multi-entry. You know, if you're running 150 lineups or something like that, I, I definitely think he's viable just because he can, you know, he can do that, right? Like with his role, he can score two touchdowns. It's just, it's not likely to happen here. Um, so yeah, want to like him, but, uh, yeah, not the, not the greatest spot here. Uh, so if the, the offense isn't running through Mixon, then we're kind of assuming that if they produce at all, it's going to be through burrow and the pass catchers. So Lex, I'll just go right back to you here with that. Uh, thoughts on how that's yeah. going to look. Yeah. Baltimore has uh, been struggling versus quarterbacks, especially lately with the injuries just continuing to pile up for them. Nine quarterbacks have scored multiple touchdowns versus Baltimore. Burrow has scored multiple touchdowns in 11 of 14 games. He had his best game of the season already this year versus Baltimore when he had a 416 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Baltimore blitz is at the fifth highest rate. Burrow's graded as elite versus the blitz uh, by PFF this year. Um, Burrow's like two higher scores in the last month where he's not been scoring as well just because they've been running a bit more and not scoring as many points. Those two games coincided with two of Mixon's worst games. So they're basically, they're pretty negatively correlated. Basically, they'd see either the touchdowns going through Mixon or Burrow um, and just, you know, a higher pass volume for Burrow obviously is going to lead to less Mixon rush attempts. Um, Baltimore. So they've allowed the second most quarterback pass yards this year. Only four quarterbacks have actually gone over 300, but three of those four through for 400 yards. Uh, so it's a pretty good spot for burrow, especially if, if they are able to keep Mixon in check or if Mixon's not healthy on top of that, they're going to need to throw the ball more. Um, I, I like the spot for Mixon, especially if you're, you know, sort of building around this game and you're building around Baltimore scoring as well, then it makes sense that that burrow would be throwing the ball more. Um, yeah, Jess can, can start with like his stuff with the receivers and then I'll just kind of come in behind. Cause I'd like to hear what he has to say. Yeah. I mean, with Baltimore having so many guys, they've got two on the COVID list right now, uh, two corners on the COVID list, two safeties on the COVID list. Tavon young has a concussion and this, I mean, they're already then they've already lost Humphrey. They've already lost, uh, I think they put somebody else on IR in the secondary too. They're uh, one of their safeties. So they're weak back there. Um, like we were saying, the, the running game is going to be mediocre. They're really only going to use that to keep the clock moving. So I think the Bengals are more likely to throw 35 to 40 times than they are to run it 25 to 30 times. Uh, and Burrow threw it 38 times last game. So I think that's probably right around what we're going to see again this week. Probably not 400 yards this late in the season, but you never know with how bad that secondary looks right now. Uh, and then kind of looking at where the matchups lie, like kind of it's the, it's one of the spreadsheets that I do or make is a, a targets one where I kind of break it down and do kind of a nets target thing. 
And it looks to me like they're going to basically spend their time attacking the outsides, like the, the outside corners with Chase and Higgins. And then Uzoma had two touchdown catches in this game last time. And that's been a huge weakness for Baltimore all, all year is stopping the tight end. So, um, and then just kind of one more thing is Cincinnati projects for the second fewest running back targets this week. They have a 5.2 in the little target projection system that I do. So that's just, that's going to push more volume out to those receivers. Uh, Uzoma could be sneaky play again, like he's disappeared for a while, but he's, this is a, a matchup where they'll probably try and use him again, because if I remember right, one of his touchdowns, like they totally duped that defense with that touchdown pass to him. He snuck out to the left, was wide open. Uh, it was something that they had set up earlier in the game. So it's just kind of one of those things where maybe Uzoma is worth looking at in the spot, but definitely Chase and Higgins. Those are the big play upside guys. Um, and I, I mean, we got to see if Tavon Young even makes it back from his concussion, but they're so thin in that secondary. It's like one of those things that you just, when you see that, like you, how can you not pick on it? And that's why last week, like the, the Ravens Packers game, this, this game was like, I was all about that. I had uh, 45% of my quarterbacks tied up in that game. I think I had 20, 25% Huntley and 20% Rogers, something like that out of uh, 20 lineups. So I was definitely on board with picking on the Ravens. I couldn't figure out, like I kept looking at uh, projections and Aaron Rodgers was showing up at like below 3%. I'm like, that's BS. Like who, who comes up with these projections? <laughs> I was even in our DFS contributors <laughs> channel. I'm like, come on, this can't be real. Like are people really not rostering Rodgers? I think uh, he was ended up being like 18% or whatever, but I, I think Burrow can kind of sneak up in there too. So it, it lesson learned for me too, as I was looking at uh, all the, the projections as far as ownerships went. And I kind of tried to veer off of all the heavy on guys that kind of cost me a little bit, but uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to avoid the Baltimore defense at all. I'm going to try and pick on. Yeah. I'll just add to that. Like some of the positives for the receivers for Cincinnati. So eight of the 11 80 yard receivers against Baltimore have come in the last six games. Like, you know, as they started to lose more guys, um, Chase, he's really been struggling ever since that explosion game versus Baltimore. He had like 200 yards. And then since then, he's basically been like under 50 in every game, except for like one. Um, and he got two touchdowns versus SF. Whereas Higgins has like been pretty solid and putting up a bunch of yards. Even Boyd is out game chase in four of the seven games. So it's mostly a target thing. Like these guys are like Chase has topped out eight targets and he's been at six, three, eight, eight, four. And Higgins has some higher ceiling ones. Boyd is like just, uh, he's not really putting up, you know, big scores outside of like last week. Um, so that was kind of a mixed bag, I guess. Like one, the, the, the matchup is nice. Like I was saying, Baltimore also allows, I think it was uh, second or third highest like explosive pass rate. Oh no, it's the first. The highest rate of explosive passes to receivers. So you would think that would benefit Chase the most kind of in that same way he picked on them in the first game. Um, but Baltimore also allows the fifth lowest rate of wide receiver targets. So you expect Cincinnati to pass a lot. They're going to target the receivers a lot regardless, but that kind of, you know, ties into what Jess said about Uzoma. Like maybe that leads to more targets for him, um, or one of those like backup running backs that steals a touchdown or something. Um, really it's hard when you have three guys that are using the pass game and now no one is really, you know, serving as like an alpha, um, like Higgins has had some nice games, but you still think of chase as the one with like some of those deep balls that are going to go off with big touchdowns. But if he doesn't get those, he's not putting up big scores. So um, I would say it's tough for me to have one of those guys stand out necessarily. Like I'd be focusing more on like Chase and Higgins, like Jess said, um, whereas Higgins has been 
pretty solid of late. Um, Chase is still probably the guy that has the biggest upside in terms of taking advantage of a like, leaky secondary here. Um, but I don't know if there's any one thing that points to one or the other, you know, outside of like stuff like that. But um, yeah, at this point I'm rambling because I don't really have anything else to say. I think we hit on basically everything. There's a ton of injuries. They're not playing well. And Cincinnati receivers have explosiveness if they can hit, you know, in this spot. Yeah, I like Burrow a lot here for all these reasons. Like it's it's hard to see, kind of like we talked about with Rodgers last week. It's hard to see him not producing here. Like the floor and ceiling just seems to set up pretty well. You know, Burrow hasn't had like massive ceiling this year, but this is a game where he could see something close to that. And then, yeah, I mean, you guys feels like nailed it pretty much with the pass catchers. Uh, my, my thoughts within that are just like, yeah, like Boyd is pretty much the, the one I have the least interest in because his floor is okay, obviously because of the, you know, being slot and seeing short area targets and stuff like that. But he just, he essentially has no ceiling. He had like a catch and run touchdown. I think it was last week that was, you know, gave him a decent score, um, but not something that I would chase just to play devil's advocate a little bit on Uzoma. Um, I think what you guys pointed out was like accurate and sharp, but the only thing would be because they're divisional opponents the, you know, they did get burned by him last time. They might put a little bit more emphasis on like, Oh, like making sure we don't do that. Now they, they might not have the pieces to, to actually make that not happen. Um, so all that to say, I'd be the most interested in chase and Higgins. I would have a hard time choosing between the two. So I guess you're either throwing, you know, putting them on different rosters, think you could potentially play them together. If you really think this game is going to pop off a little bit, you're, you're kind of playing them as a block then, which has like decent floor and ceiling. Um, hard to see that hitting like a really big ceiling between those guys, but I think that is viable. We'll kind of get to the other side of the game here. Uh, but I think that's potentially uh, in the cards. If, you know, kind of similar to like what Rogers, Devante and MVS would have been last week. But with that, let's uh, let's head on to the Baltimore side of the ball. The the one thing that I noted looking at this last week was the like the the Baltimore offense, and not that this is a big surprise to us, but like the Baltimore offense pretty much all ran through the quarterback. So Huntley had forty pass attempts, and then had so the team had twenty six rushes, but Huntley's were half of those. So the in a, in a back and forth game, the Baltimore quarterback is always going to be pretty interesting because of the floor and ceiling they offer. So I guess, you know, first things first here, uh, injury news, like Lamar, I don't think we have a ton of clarity on that yet. Correct. Yeah. He didn't practice today. Uh, that's, as, that's as clear as I've got. <laughs> yeah. I, like if you don't mind, I want to jump in here because, uh, yeah. If, if Lamar is out and maybe they do want to save him for another week, I don't know. But looking at what Huntley's done compared to what Lamar was doing before he got hurt, Huntley's keeping the offense on schedule. He's getting the ball out. Like he's throwing shorter, but he's trusting what he sees and he's letting it go while Jackson is holding the ball and he's looking for more big plays. Where Huntley's just like, you know what? I'm just going to make the plays that are there and just keep the ball moving. Um, 
most of his drives have been successful. So looking at Huntley, his last two weeks, um, last week's drives in order went turnover on downs. So they were being aggressive there. Touchdown, touchdown, punt, and then end of half. So they they received a punt and then downed it and went into the, the tunnel. Field goal, turnover on downs, touchdown, touchdown. The week before, uh, the drives that Huntley started and finished, his first drive ended in a punt. And then it went field goal, Huntley fumble, lost. Field goal, Huntley lost another fumble. Field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown. And then they turned it over on downs on their final possession trying to win the game. So they're scoring with Huntley. Uh, and that's what one of the things, like when I talked about him in last week's podcast, and he's completing 70% of his passes. He's getting the ball out. And he's letting his players make the plays for him. He's also run for 40 yards, 45 yards, and now 73 yards. So he's he's a little bit of a Lamar Jackson light, but he's he's making the plays that are there where Jackson has been hesitant or whatever. I don't know what Jackson's deal is this year. But his, or at least the second half of the year, but there's something off with him. And Huntley has been kind of like he's been a nice little band aid for them. And it, he's as his price has been cheap, he's been fun to use. But I mean, he's only up to six thousand this week, and it's kind of if you're playing the the passing game from the side, you really only should be playing Huntley and Andrews. But because uh, his receivers, like Marquise Brown's roles, totally change. He's no longer a deep threat. He's catching five balls for 19 yards and stuff like that. So like, I, I don't know. I, I really do like Huntley. He's going to be in my pool again this week because of this game and the way it matches up. Neither team is going to be able to run the ball. Both teams are going to be aggressive. I mean, whoever wins this game controls the AFC North the rest of the way. So stakes are high in this game. And that's, that's what you're looking for. You want to see offenses that are in this type of environment, especially passing offenses where, running the ball is just going to be token. It's just going to be, you know, we need to get, we need to start moving the clock again, just run a run play really quick. And then we'll go back to the pass kind of thing. So I I think both sides, you're going to get aggression out of the passing games. I think both quarterbacks set up well here. You get the rushing yards with Huntley. Um, That's just kind of all I wanted to jump in and say right off the bat. I was kind of chomping at the bit for, for the Huntley stuff. Yeah. I think with that, like, I feel like Huntley is, as you're saying, he's hardly a downgrade. You know, if he feels like a lateral move, if not maybe slightly more secure, you know, I think up until last week, it could have been argued that he doesn't have the ceiling, but I mean, dude scored 36 points or whatever. Like, so that was there too. So I'm, I'm in the same boat as you in terms of, you know, it's kind of funny. I probably won't play Lamar if he plays, but I will be very interested in playing Huntley if he does simply because the, of the name value there and like the effect that that has on price. Um, so that's, yeah, I'm, that's kind of how I'm seeing it. Lex. Um, I actually do really like Lamar this week. Um, if he does play and same goes for Huntley for similar reasons, but, uh, Cincinnati's allowed like the fifth most pass yards this year. Like they haven't allowed a ton of quarterback DK points are kind of average, but um, Lamar has actually been passing for more yards than he normally would be in the previous seasons this year. So I find that a little interesting just because if he's able to pass against Cincinnati, he's historically crushed the Bengals on the ground. And it's not like they've gone through a bunch of different coaching staffs and like personnel here. Like he, this is like, you know, the last couple of years and he's just smashing them repeatedly on the ground. He got, he went for 88 earlier this year. Um, he, yeah, he's had a down year the last couple of months, like after a pretty good start. Um, you know, especially with, you know, just t- touchdowns haven't necessarily gone his way. 
to not putting up these big DK scores, but he's still like in 41 games. I mean, he's got 30 games of 20 plus DK points. And that's like, including some of these like worst games this year. So his, his floor is still just absolutely absurd. And I think the ceiling is interesting here. Just if we expect Cincinnati to score a lot and with Lamar's, you know, ability on the ground, I think that same thing can be sort of said for Huntley. Like he's not going to be as effective as a rusher. Um, I, I couldn't say that I've watched him enough to really know how he is as a passer, but he's certainly been effective in these last, you know, couple of weeks. And like Jess was saying, he's taking what the defense gives him. He's utilizing his best player out there in Andrews. So I think that both guys are interesting here. I wouldn't say it's like the best matchup, but Cincinnati's defense is like, you know, it's not great. It's not bad. Just kind of there. Um, but I think that the quarterbacks are interesting, especially in a game environment. Like we keep talking about that. We expect if, if you're playing it based on this, you know, scenario that these teams are scoring points, then both these quarterbacks are very interesting to me. Um, so I, I like the, that, that for uh, Baltimore. Um, I'm not super interested in the receivers um, just because Brown's volume has kind of just gone down from where it started earlier in the year. Um, he actually, and he's had a couple, I guess, target spikes lately, but they're just kind of shorter targets and he's not racking up nearly as many yards. He needs Lamar, I guess, for those, you know, bigger type plays. But as long as they've got like Bateman and Watkins and Brown, it's just hard for one of these guys to really blow up. And even when he was going, you know, playing well earlier in the season, he's just not going to be a guy that racks up like massive scores, um, like some of the other receivers that will be priced up pretty high. However, I did note too, and now I'm not like a guy that likes to just use like, oh, he did this against, you know, Cincinnati two years ago. That means he can do it again. But it's, he has had really nice career against Cincinnati so far. 481, 677, one, 541, two, 581. So he scored a touchdown in every single one of those games. So it is interesting just because Cincinnati's not been like great um, versus receivers this year. They haven't been like bad either. They just, they've kind of middle of the pack again. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't like be excited to play in those guys outside of like if you're kind of stacking this game. Um, Andrews is obviously the most interesting. He has his targets since the bye. 10, 8, 10, 10, 9, 11, 13. So ridiculous target floor right now. He has five plus catches in 10 of 14 games. He has over 40 yards in every game since week one. And he has uh, 60 plus yards in nine of those 13. So uh, I like that. Tight, there's been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight tight ends with 40 plus yards versus Cincinnati. Andrews has eight touchdowns this year. He has 10 and seven in the previous two years. So he's like kind of right around his touchdown expectancy. Um, Cincinnati is allowed the fifth highest yards per attempt to tight ends. I, I Andrews, if Huntley plays, that's even better for Andrews because Huntley's just been targeting the crap out of him and he's just been going off. Uh, not that interested in the running backs, but um, yeah, no, I think that basically hits on the points I want to talk about with Lamar and the, some of these pass catchers. I like your point with Lamar too. I, I would be interested in Lamar if Huntley doesn't play because he's sitting there watching somebody shine while he's on the bench. So He's got to be like the competitor in him has got to be like, let me get back out there and show what I can do. And Cincinnati's defense, they've allowed the seventh most passing yards. So that like we kind of think of them as one of those defenses that clamps down and makes you makes you throw short and drive the field against them. But uh, it, as long as they're continuing to allow yards like and the scores against them, I mean, they're I don't know how many touchdowns off the top of my head. And let me check real quick. Uh, yeah, they, they've allowed 20 passing touchdowns, which is kind of like middle of the road, but they've allowed six multiple passing touchdown games. So 
them giving up yards and multiple passing touchdowns, plus what, like you're saying, like what Lamar has done on the, on the ground against them. And even Trevor Lawrence ran for 36 and a touchdown against the, the Bengals this year too. So they are vulnerable to running quarterbacks and, and I would be interested in whatever quarterback starts for, for Baltimore in this game. See, this is why I'm on this podcast with you guys. So you can talk me into good plays. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love, I love everything you guys said there. I think, uh, especially too, if you do get some people that were thinking like I originally stated and like, Oh, like Lamar hasn't had great games recently. Uh, you might get people not wanting to pay that price tag when he could still pay off Lex. I think what you were saying about the, his running history here is really sharp. I think that's interesting. I think the the one thing that I would potentially like a little bit, if, Lamar does play is to pair him with Hollywood Brown instead of Andrews to be clear. Andrews is like the better play, (laughs) Um, but I like Huntley. That's obviously his guy, but I think Lamar, because he's still, and I know Hollywood's been used differently, but I think with Lamar's propensity to still kind of want the big play, if he does happen to hit that to Hollywood Brown and the field is going right back to Mark Andrews after a big week, that is at least kind of interesting to me uh, without knowing too much else about the slate. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of what I had there. And then, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know that we need to even talk about running back too much. Like I mentioned right at the top, you know, the, the best running back or the best runner on the, the Baltimore team is the quarterback, regardless of whether that's, you know, it's far and away Lamar, but even it's still Huntley. You know, he had 13 carries last week. Freeman seemed to have a bankable role. It's like he was just kind of getting to that point. And then Murray saw more carries and targets than him last week. So I, I got nothing there unless you guys do. Nah, neither guy's a ceiling play. Cincinnati's defense has allowed the fourth fewest rushing yards. Baltimore's facing the second toughest net adjusted line yards matchup. And with those guys splitting, you're not getting any ceiling out of either of those guys. So it's, it's a backfield to avoid. All righty. Done with game number one. Let's move on to Tampa Bay at Carolina. I'm kind of curious to see what kind of angry Brady we get here after only his third shutout. Like that's insane. Given like what this guy has done and like what he's played. I, I believe if I'm not getting that wrong, like the third career shutout, that's just absolutely nuts. Uh, The interesting thing, though, is that he's going to have a very different supporting cast in this game, which we will be diving into. And then on the other side of the ball, Cam finally played a full game, but apparently Darnold will play at some point this week. So, I mean, I I don't even know what to do with that, but (laughs) um, let's let's start with the Tampa Bay side of the ball here. We know the Bucs and Brady but now they've lost two of their best offensive weapons in Godwin and Fournette. Uh, Evans has a hammy uh, that he's dealing with, and that's a big deal for a receiver. So we kind of have to see if he plays this week. Uh, I mean, this is just going to be kind of wild. So let's start just kind of like high level without even diving into position just yet. Let's just kind of look at how we think these injuries are going to affect their approach if it's going to affect their production at all. And then uh, we can kind of get into what we think about 
uh, individual players. Jess, I'll go ahead and start with you here. Yeah, I mean, the injuries are going to play a role. Obviously, Godwin's out, Evans DNP, Antonio was limited, Fournette's a DNP. So it, it's really going to come down to who Brady has available for him. Uh, this is also the first meeting between these teams this year, so we haven't seen really how they're going to attack each other. Um, kind of what I was looking at is teams that have committed to running the ball against the Panthers have found some success in the past, but that's not Tampa Bay's. I, I put TV's identity and I kind of meant that to mean two things. That's not Tampa Bay's identity and that's not Tom Brady's identity. Uh, Tampa Bay is 25th in rushing yards and 29th in rush attempts. So they're not really running the ball, even with their, their, you know, trusted workhorse for net back there. And I know this is going to be Ronald Jones chalk week. And I think the passing game is probably going to be the best way to leverage it. Because as you said, that we got an angry Brady coming in, man broke a tablet. <laughs> he's pissed. He's going <laughs> to. He's going to come back with some vengeance here. And he's, I think he's going to lean on his guys. He's going to look for Gronk. He's going to look for Brown. And if Evans is healthy, I mean, that's it. You just stack Brady with two of those guys, pick two and let the field chase Ronald Jones at 5,100 for his chop week and, and get the leverage through the passing game. That's kind of my, my high level thought on, on this game. Yeah, this is an interesting one because like, it's like you saying, like you generally, you like to play someone like, like the psychotic guys like Brady after they, you know, had a really bad, you know, outing, like you want to play them in terms of bouncing back. But obviously now we're dealing with, you know, obviously the unknown of losing Godwin and Fournette. We, he might not have Evans. Um, and on top of that, Carolina has been a really good pass humans this year. And like, I haven't done enough, like just looking closely enough to see like that level of competition in terms of like what, which quarterbacks, but on the, they've only allowed five quarterbacks over 200 yards passing and like the only one over 300 the other ones are all under like 260 so it's like they've really done a good job of limiting quarterback passing production um and uh, obviously it's brady so it's like he can break any matchup right it could be the toughest matchup there is and he's you're, you're still going to be interested in what he can do especially if that matchup is makes him draw less ownership but i think it is interesting like that they've been this solid of a defense throughout the year um they added gilmore you know at one point in the middle Brady last year had one, you know, very average outing versus Carolina and then one really explosive outing versus this defense. Um, so I, I think he's interesting. I do think it's, I, I'm certainly not going to play Ronald Jones. I think like you said, if he's getting chalk, like I'm not touching that at all. And I think, like you said, the way to leverage it is for sure to use the passing game. But I also think like if that, even if that gets a little bit ownership, then I might just avoid this offense entirely. And if it goes off, it goes off. But like, I, I think Carolina has just been a good job of limiting like these big fantasy games this year. So I'm not like super interested and even receivers, like they, they've allowed, I think it's since 2020. So 30 games, the only receivers to get up to a uh, hundred yards have needed seven or more catches except for like one. And there's only been like nine of those guys or maybe even less, maybe it was like seven or eight. And this year alone, like the only guys that have scored 20 plus DK points, two touchdowns, one touchdown, one touchdown, one touchdown, two touchdowns. And all of them like uh, have had pretty high uh, usage. And I just don't know, like outside of Antonio Brown, I, I don't know if I want to trust these lesser pieces when Tyler Johnson was like losing usage to uh, Perriman, you know, a couple weeks ago, Perriman's dealing with something, right? Didn't he just miss a game and he might be back or something like that? Uh, yeah. So it's like, 
I don't know. There's just uncertainty for me. Like, I just don't know if that's, that's what I'm betting on in a tougher spot, but obviously when you have more condensed usage, like that's going to be good for guys like Antonio Brown coming back and Gronk. Plus we also don't really know what Brown's going to look like, like how healthy he is because he's been out so long, but uh, he was certainly playing very well when he started the year before he missed all this time. So like that makes him interesting enough alone. Carolina's just been pretty solid against receivers. Like I was saying, six fewest DK points per game this year. Um, Gronk's in a tough spot too, in terms of like Carolina has been pretty tough against tight ends, but you, you never, you know, tight end matchup stats are not always the, you know, the strongest to look at anyway. Uh, I would look more like Gronk's Gronk's targets this year, are five and then eight, 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 10, eight, nine, 11. So he's gotten ridiculous usages here compared to last year. Um, and now with down Godwin, I would expect, you know, that to remain the same, if not higher. So I'm with Jess on the points of like, you definitely want to be looking at this Brady pass game as like the leverage off of any Ronald Jones ownership. And just because, you know, he's coming off a bad week. He's always a capable of putting up big scores. You've got more condensed usage. Now. I just think that like, I am a little hesitant just in terms of this game environment overall, in terms of like, is Carolina really going to be able to push them at all? And is the Carolina defense going to be able to hold on long enough where it's like Tampa Bay will have success, but is that success, you know, 25 point range or is it 35 point range? Like, I, I'm not sure about the ceiling here. So that would just be my, my thoughts on that Tampa Bay offense. All right. So I, I do want to counter a little bit of that. Cause like, and you, you led into it at the top two when you said you don't know what the level of competition is that Carolina's face. Right. Jets, Saints, Texans, Cowboys. That was the Ezekiel Elliott game. Eagles with Hurts still trying to throw too much and not doing well. Uh, Vikings, which is our only comparable game. And that game, uh, Kirk Cousins went into Carolina, threw for 373 in yardage and three touchdowns. Uh, New York Giants, Falcons, Patriots, uh, Cardinals with Colt McCoy, Washington, Miami, Atlanta, and then Buffalo last week. So they haven't faced anybody. They faced Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen, and that's it. Uh, wow. Josh Allen do. So Cousins was 373 and three touchdowns. Josh Allen was 210 and three touchdowns. But Allen runs the ball a little bit, 24 yards, not much. Um, and then also how much is Carolina going to be able to push them is, is a reasonable idea to consider. Um, but you also have Tampa Bay being such an aggressive offense. They're probably just going to want to put, put the foot on the gas, get up three touchdowns real quick, and then maybe score one more later. And that could all come through the passing game. It could come through some Ronald Jones, who knows, could come through the defense. And that's another kind of uh, pivot I'm looking at too, is the Bucks defense in this game because of the, well, we're going to start Cam Newton, but <laughs> Darnold's going to play at some point. It's like, hey, what are you even doing with that? Like, just pick one guy and go with it. Like, or if you want to play like what the saints used to do when they would have uh breeze and Hill come in and play, do kind of the gimmick role, have cam play the gimmick role to Sam Darnold, but obviously Darnold's not breeze. So I, I, I can't quite understand what they're trying to do with that, but I do think uh, aggression is going to be on Tampa's side and Carolina's defense is a bit overrated based on who they played as far as who their past defenses played. So it, it could still work out for Brady to have a pretty good game here. Yeah. I think that was a really good point on the competition. That's why I sort of mentioned it. I'm glad that you have all that stuff. Cause it's very, yeah, that's a definitely important to know. 
Um, I also say too, like, I think part of my problem, even just viewing the Tampa Bay offense over the last two years now is like, it's even defenses that can do similar things to the saints, like a defense that might have a strong pass rush or has strong coverage. Like for some reason, like that, it doesn't just apply in the same way. Right. Like, like this new Orleans, even it's like, you basically have to view Tampa Bay as a different offense versus like every other team in the league, instead of the saints and, and the saints events on one side and the other 31 teams on the other, just because they've just been somewhat uniquely good at stopping this offense and I, I think that I've even got myself in trouble and thinking like, oh, well, yeah, Caroline's passing has been strong. Like they had a, they've had a solid pass rush this year and stuff like that. But like, like you just said, level of competition is one thing. And then also like, there's just Tampa Bay is like out. These are games are just such outliers versus the saints. It makes it really hard to compare it in any way to these other defenses. So like, I, I think you're right in that. I, I'm probably overvaluing, you know, can Carolina's defensive chances here or um, just because it's, they looked so rough last week and now you're also dealing with less weapons, but um, it is still Brady playing like somehow still looking like he's in his prime. So um, yeah, I, I, I would, I guess I'm more interested than when we started talking here on this offense. Yeah. And it's the injuries. We, I, I hope Evans and Brown both play because that's going to be more exciting than if it's just one or the other. And then like you're saying with, AB, what is his snap count going to be? Because I think he came back on a snap count the last time he came back from injury too. So it really does push Gronk to the top for me in all of this because that's that was the only guy Brady had last week once everybody went out. He targeted him, what was it, 11 times? So Gronk's going to get a ton of targets in this game. And that's not necessarily a weakness for Carolina, but it's somewhat of a neutral matchup. Um, let me see. I'm a little bit behind on data this week. So let's see. Carolina's allowing, yeah, they're only allowing 11.2 per game to tight ends, which is on the lower end. But they just came off a game two weeks ago, allowing 20.6 to somebody. I don't have the, the opponent in the box. I just have the point total. So it's, it's definitely a game to at least consider Gronk. Um, like if you're trying to leverage off of Rojo and then the Bucks defense, and I think Rojo and Bucks defense might even be a pretty uh, popular combo this week too. Can we just? Yeah, I guess we could. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Ben. Uh, well, I was just gonna. Can we just pause for a second, Lex? Like, how how crazy were you going when the Saints shut them out? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty melancholy as a fan these days without without Breeze and like you know, with Winston's ACL and stuff, but it's always a glorious feeling to just be sitting there and just licking, you know, licking your chops as the Saints shut out, you know, Brady with Taysom Hill at quarterback and stuff. But, uh, all right. So it's just just wild. Yeah, for sure. So my my visual of you like standing and screaming F you Brady, take that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not correct. No, you know, I, I may tweet loudly, but I'm I'm very stoic sitting on the couch. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I'm kind of the opposite. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, I like everything you guys were saying. Uh, I pretty much agree with all of that. Uh, I think it would be most interesting if Evans plays. I wouldn't even be surprised if they played him as like a semi decoy in this spot, you know, and just kind of like keep him in on some shorter routes, not going all out and stuff like that simply just to, you know, pull the defense a little bit because I mean, it's a huge, <laughs> what'd you, what'd you say? 
sacrifice Evans to Gilmore. And then yeah. every time Brady, uh, AB hits the field, it's because he's going to get targeted. Right. Right. I, yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I think that's like really interesting to keep in mind. Uh, I, I'd be hard pressed to play Evans. Like, yeah, he, you know, two touchdowns is always within the realm of possibility for him, but you're probably going to get 40 yards out. I don't know. It's just like so hard with the, a guy that's got a hamstring issue. Um, and then, yeah, I, I really don't see how Gronk doesn't see like 10 to 12 targets in this spot. And I know that's like aggressive for like, a. would like, for me, that's like a legit projection. I, I really don't see how he sees anything less than that because I do believe that Brady will kind of lean on his guys. So he's the inter- most interesting to me. Uh, yeah, definitely not a cake matchup there, but Gronk is kind of a, a different beast. And then, yeah, AB, obviously he'll, you know, probably be on a snap count, I would imagine, because his ankle was pretty, pretty mangled, it sounded like. And obviously there's been all the, the vaccine stuff that's kind of been keeping him out a little bit too. But I, I guess I'll say this. I would be interested in stacking Brady, AB, and Gronk if I am feeling really good about this game and feel like I'm going to get a pretty solid floor and ceiling out of those three guys. Um, but Lex, did you have something else? I just want to talk about uh, Rojo really quick since we were pretty dismissive of him in the get-go, which like for good reason to me, just because I think he's basically just a yardage and touchdowns back. Right. So it's like, he's, he's only a good play if he's able to score probably like two touchdowns, which is like a very tough thing to bet on. Um, so like him for me will be very closely tied to ownership. Um, I mean, it's like last week, you know, everyone was excited to play Robinson because they knew he was going to get a ton of usage and stuff in a pretty solid matchup. Like this is a bit different just because we don't expect him to get maybe quite as many carries. And it's a, a much tougher matchup this week, the Panthers versus the, uh, what was it? The Texans for Robinson. But um, at the same time, if we expect Tampa to be in control of this game as a whole, which we, I think we all do, especially with all the weirdness going on with Carolina's quarterbacks, which we'll get to um, Ronald Jones has a pretty high ceiling for rush attempts. Like, I don't know what his floor is, but his ceiling is pretty high. Um, and we saw last year now, granted the defense has been even improved, um, this year, but Tampa Bay's like running backs had massive games versus Carolina and Phil Snow's defense last year. I think, uh, Fournette, let me see. I had it. He had 103 yards and two touchdowns in the first game. And then Ronald Jones had 192 yards and touchdown in the other one. I think that included like a 90 yard touchdown, but again, Ronald Jones, like he hasn't played a lot this year, but he still has really good rushing ability. Like you saw some juice in that Saints game. His bigger problem is like other, you know, mental error type stuff. And he's definitely not going to get the kind of targets that Fournette got, which is what makes him have a much lower floor. And a guy where if he's getting higher ownership, you just basically are like, I would rather put my bets elsewhere than on the fact, like on someone who's needs basically to fall in the end zone twice. But I do think that that him being basically the sole guy there with like Vaughn, because Gio's also out is interesting enough, you know, just, with the way this game flow is kind of expected um, and Carolina Stevens as a whole being, you know, solid in all phases, even if against weaker competition. But um, I, I'm not saying that that means I might play him or not, but I do think that he's at least worth mentioning just because he's the main guy now 
in a backfield that's, you know, only down to like two guys. Um, I wouldn't really consider Bell a part of this backfield quite yet. Um, and in a game flow that we expect, you know, Tampa Bay to dominate. So I think for that reason, you have to at least think about him. But if his ownership gets anywhere near, you know, any kind of popularity, like he's, to me, that's not the kind of guy, obviously, you want to take at high ownership. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think he's not going to be a target hog like Fournette has been because Brady trusts Fournette in the passing game. I don't know how he feels about Rojo and Rojo's history has not been good in the passing game. So I think that does lower his ceiling and possibly his floor too. Um, at 5,100 in this kind of matchup where Tampa Bay is still, you know, fighting for, for playoff positioning too is interesting, but I don't know. It, it, it is going to come down to ownership. If he's super high owned, I, I'm not going to have any interest. Is the one thing you could potentially do, which I don't, yeah, I don't know. I still don't love it just because he doesn't have that pass catching role. But I was going to say, you could potentially, if you think that the, the bucks are going to blow them out, then you could potentially play Brady and Rojo. Most of the field's probably not going to do that from a salary standpoint. Uh, that's interesting just because I had, I didn't know that Rojo was that low in salary. Cause I think that does shift things a little bit. Again, not saying that I'm playing him at, you know, 25 or 30 plus percent ownership or whatever, but yeah, it's one way to play it and potentially differentiate. Don't love it in that. I usually like to at least have some pass catching upside from a back. If I'm playing both quarterback and running back. The one final note I just wanted to add about Gronk is I would actually consider playing him solo as well, even if I wasn't high on Brady's expectations here because of some of the things that Lex laid out and stuff like that. But I do think, especially if Andrews is really popular this week, because as, as we talked about, he's in a good spot again, and there's no reason to think that he's, you know, he, he will be a good play on paper. Um, but if Andrews does start to see some ownership, I would be interested in potentially pivoting to, or, or at least looking at Gronk there just because, um, he, you know, he's got similar floor and ceiling. All righty done with Tampa Bay. Let's head on to the other side of the ball where, I mean, <laughs> The only question I have at this point is just like, does Matt rule have any idea what he's doing? And I, and I asked that as like half joking, half serious, like, do, is he actually kind of smart? And like, does he, does he have a plan? I guess I just don't know at this point. Um, I, I feel like maybe he knows a little bit more than, than like we're kind of seeing on the outside, but it's, it just seems kind of ridiculous. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but the, I mean, really, you know, the biggest question is, can they move the ball versus Tampa Bay and because of kind of the weirdness here, is there any potential player we're looking at bringing it back with on Carolina? So Jess, I'll go to you here. Yeah. So somebody posted something earlier today on one of the, the Carolina beat writer feeds I have. And he's like, uh, Matt rules trying to play chess on a Candyland board. <laughs> That's, that's an amazing, that's an amazing analogy. <laughs> so going with that theme, if he's trying to play chess and you're looking at what the Tampa Bay defense does and what Carolina has, and now we have DJ Moore is not 
practicing today with a hamstring. So they're, they don't have an offense. They, they don't have weapons. They do have one interesting piece to me and he's in my, he's just kind of on the out outer edge of, of my ideas of plays this week. But if you really want to punt at running back, you don't have to go to Rojo at 51. You can go all the way down to Amir Abdullah for 4,500 because Tampa is allowing quite a bit to running backs uh, pass catching wise. Let's see here. Actually, yeah, 13.2. So they're on the higher side there. There's only like two teams allowing more through receiving running backs. And sorry, I'm clicking away here. Uh, Abdullah had. So his last three games, four targets, four targets, six targets. He had 15 and a half points last week against Buffalo, who may be considered somewhat similar as far as how tough they are on defense like Tampa Bay is. Um, I just think that's like the only chess piece he has in this game is, is Abdullah and Cam. So if, if, he, if he's not going to commit to Cam Newton, because Cam Newton is their running game, he's outrushed Chuba in the last two games that they played. Uh, only McCaffrey has outrushed Cam this year as, uh, for any of the running backs. So you're down to Cam and Abdullah as far as your your chess pieces. You're you know you got a knight and a rook there or whatever. You're down to your your defensive pieces. So we'll see how it goes. Um, otherwise, yeah, he may just be playing shoots and ladders and hit one of that big that big slide <laughs> all the way to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, my notes about this stuff will be quick because I have zero interest in the quarterbacks. When you have you know, him already getting benched twice for Walker. Now you have reports that Darnold might play, even though camps are like, I, I have no interest in messing with that. The the matchup isn't like great either, especially for someone like Cam who gets so many of his points on the ground. And Tampa Bay has been like, not fantastic, but mostly solid against, you know, like quarterback rushing. And they're obviously really good against running back rushing. So I'm kind of just avoiding that whole wild situation for the running backs. Yeah, obviously Hubbard shouldn't be anywhere near anyone's roster with his declining usage and Abdullah taking out all the targets. Um, the way to beat Tampa as a running back is through the air for the, you know, most of the last three years. Um, and uh, while I like everything Jess said about Abdullah, I'm just a little bit concerned that like, I just don't know if his ceiling is high enough. Like maybe he gets like more targets in this one, just because there's like so unable to run the ball against Tampa Bay's defense. Um, but he also has like almost like virtually no usage on the ground, which like worries me just because he just needs so much of that production through the air. But then again, we did used to see some big McKissage games like that, where he had, you know, big games. So like it is possible. It's just not my favorite way of attacking just because even though Tampa Bay allows like a ton of running back catches, like it's very, it's still infrequent when running backs have a big game through the air, just because their linebackers are so quick, they're able to like limit yardage. So like, they'll face a lot of running back targets, but like generally still not give up a ton of production. Um, so I'm, I'm mostly avoiding that. I, I think that you definitely need some touchdowns there for him. Um, and then obviously I was going to talk about more is like the only guy that I was like even semi interested in on this side, but if he's now hurt too, that kind of dampens that. Um, and Moore's problem is like, he started off the year really hot. And ever since then, the last 10 games, his, highest total is 17.3 points. Like, I'm like, that was the only time he's even reached three X his current salary, which has already been, you know, decreased from where it was at, you know, weeks ago. So it's like his ceiling has just been zilch because he can't score touchdowns. Like his one touchdown in those last 10 games. And, uh, it's tough to want to play him. But then again, like 
he he is still getting the best usage of any of these you know Carolina receivers. He has the fourth most unrealized air yards this year per player profiler, and in large part that's due to an 83rd ranked catchable target rate. So it's he's just been dealing with obviously bad quarterback play on top of it. Um, he's had a nice career versus this Bulls Tampa Bay defense so far: nine for 89, seven for 73, eight for 120, four for 96 and one. So it's he's generally been the lead dog against this Tampa Bay defense. Um, when they've played, but I just don't know if his that ceiling is worth trying to target just because it's so unlikely for him to have a two touchdown game and even getting a one touchdown game out of him is difficult. Um, and that's not even true just for this year. That's been the majority of his career. So I, I I'm mostly avoiding the side. It's, I think like Jess was saying about Tampa Bay's aggressiveness, those guys can put up nice scores even without, you know, strong plays from this side. Um, and I don't even imagine, even if Carolina is doing something to push them, I think Moore is the most likely, but it could even be split enough between someone like Abdullah and Moore, Robbie, like where no one's even putting up a nice score anyway, and it kind of ruins your Tampa Bay stack. So I just am mostly avoiding this offense overall, especially with this quarterback, you know, wackiness um, and Cam, you know, soaking up a lot of usage on the ground anyway. Like I, I don't really, I'm just, I don't like the side of the ball. And that's, that's the last thing I'm talking about from this side. <laughs> so you mentioned the linebackers as far as like stopping the pass catching. Uh, my latest, if I do a, a Levante David search here on my Tampa Bay feed is Bruce Arians says it's too early to know if Levante David or Leonard Fournette will need to go on IR. So whatever injury he has seems serious enough that they're bringing up IR. Uh, and Abdullah, like Carolina projects for the most running back targets this week with 8.1 uh, next closest would be Detroit with 7.9. So they're up there as far as like running back targets go. And with Abdullah only being 4,500, if you can get, yeah, like six, seven targets out of him, he can catch most of those, maybe get into the end zone or something like that. He's going to have one of those games where it's like, everybody's going to go, you know, like the Rashad Penny game, although Penny did it more on the ground um, or like you're saying, McKissick, he could have one of his type of games, like just playing that pass catching role because they're not going to be able to run against the Tampa defense, no matter what they do. Like their offensive linemen have been banged up all year too. I think they just got their two guards back last week, but I don't know. It's they, they don't have the pieces to hang with Tampa Bay. So it could just be a wave the white flag dump offs to running backs all game kind of game. I think everything you guys are saying, I'm just really interested to see like from a football perspective, like what are they able to do and how are they going to do it? Because I mean, they really, they don't have <laughs> the pieces to compete here. Uh, you know, I, I do think the Abdullah thing is interesting because of his price, because of the game setup. I mean, I, I can't see, I just, it feels like Tampa Bay is going to be to, to pull away and pretty quickly. So I think that's viable because yeah, like you were saying, you know, he catches six for 50 or something like that. gets you 11 points. Doesn't kill you. If he does happen to get into the end zone, then he's got a decent price considered score. And if that opens up other stuff on your roster, leverage off a Rojo. So it, it, it I definitely think it's viable. I don't know if I I'll go there, but, um, and then just, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you want to like DJ more because it, it from the rational side, you're like, he's got to see 15 targets, right? Because like they've got literally nobody else. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I guess the one last thing I was going to ask for Jess, do you have drive success rate for, um, Carolina? Cause I just, I don't even see how they're, I don't know what they're, what Vegas has had them, has them pegged at, but I don't even see how they'll score three touchdowns. So drive success rate was one of the ones like we were mentioning through uh, chat that the, it, some stuff may not be updated yet. That's one of the things football outsiders have outsiders hasn't uh, updated yet. So just going off of, let's see, last week's DSR, uh, where's Carolina? Um, yeah, this doesn't look good. Let me. Sort okay, yeah. That they have the fourth worst net DSR when you uh take their score or their numbers plus Tampa Bay and average that out. So they're at a 0.696. Uh, lowest of the week is Houston with 0.676. So they're they're not not in a good spot. Uh, yeah, so I was gonna say basically what I was feeling, <laughs> just like based on what we were talking about, I was like, they just I feel like they set up so poorly to actually convert for touchdowns here. So yeah, I guess that was just kind of the nail in the coffin for me in terms of outside of Abdullah, which is kind of funny to be saying that, but outside of him, I definitely not considering anything else here. Two more strikes against them is Carolina. <clears throat> Excuse me, Carolina has the worst pass DVOA in the league. Uh, they also have the worst net pass DVOA this week. So there's just, there's so many things going against them. And that's why I kind of have a doula on my peripherals as a, a cheap, just kind of off the board play because of this game environment there. They don't have anybody. They, they really do not have weapons at all. Their tight ends suck. Their receivers like Robbie Anderson has sucked in all the what, two games DJ Moore's hurt. Like they have nobody. <laughs> so it, it could be like just one of those random games where some unowned, unknown player like this pops. But it, like I said, he's he's peripheral for me, but it's sounding more and more like I'm getting some conviction in him. But it's just that that's that's where my the thought process comes from on on Abdullah here. All right. Last thing before I bring us over to the our last game for today just kind of like a higher level just dfs strategy thing for me the way that i would potentially play that situation is i'm not necessarily looking at abdullah as like one of my two running backs unless i really hate the the way that running back sets up this week i would potentially be looking at him as like a flex guy for if I really didn't feel good about any of the the cheaper receivers or something like that, that's, that's kind of how I would go about thinking of a play like that. All right, let's roll into our final game here. Uh, We've been trying to come up with kind of a a label for this spot because it's kind of like our, our, our weird kind of ugly spot here. We've got Detroit at Atlanta. And so with this, the thing that we were kind of interested in is we've got a matchup here with teams that have bad defenses. And that's pretty much always at least worth looking where most of the field is kind of just going to be like, oh, yeah, these teams suck and pass it up and move on. And for the most part, they're right. But there is always potentially something in here, especially if there is value in this spot. So with that, let's start with the Atlanta side of the ball. They should be able to 
pretty much attack how they want. As we know, by this point in the season, Detroit is scrappy, but they just don't have the pieces. I'm kind of interested here because like, I guess to see how this is going to play out because Matt Ryan doesn't throw the ball a ton unless they really have to. we got kind of a split backfield situation. The thing I'm most interested in is Russell Gage and Kyle Pitts and how they set up in this spot. So will they see the volume? Will they need to? And then how their matchup looks. So that's kind of where I'm feeling from a high level, but Lex, I'll go to you first here. Any thoughts on the Atlanta side of the ball? Um, I mean, Detroit, like we've seen them, they play hard and uh, there's been some improvement. Um, Matt Ryan has a little bit of familiarity with the defensive coordinator for the Lions because he was the Saints defensive backs coach. Um, Ryan has really been rough since losing Ridley. Like, and I'm not saying that's directly tied to it. Like they have a lot of offensive issues, but like without, you know, these, when he's throwing his gauge as his top receiver and Pitts is getting like doubled every single play, you know, feels like, I mean, he just had a hard time, especially his pass protection is not good either. Um, I mean, his DK score is since losing Ridley, like eight, 31 versus saints, like huge game. Then like 2.7, 4, 11, 12, 12, 14. Like he's just had a rough time getting anywhere close to a ceiling. Um, Detroit has been, you know, weak enough on the air and the ground that like no one puts up like absurd volume through the air um, just because you can just be more balanced. So I'm not seeing it as like some spike pass attempt week um, efficiency. Like maybe that is improved just because Detroit's defense isn't like that great. Um, but it's just tough like to want to play Ryan because he really has had only one worthwhile stacking partner of late engage. And you wouldn't want to have stacked them because Matt Ryan's not putting up any score that helps you. Um, so I, I'm not like super interested. Like, I, I think it's sort of interesting just because Detroit's like not a high pressure team either, which benefits like Ryan's, you know, pocket. But uh, I don't know. I'm not super interested in that. I think Gage is certainly interesting just because he's getting like wide receiver one usage and he's performing well. Detroit doesn't have like the corners that are going to, you know, be like, oh, I can't play him against this corner. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think the Gage is certainly interesting. Uh, he's put up some nice games here. I, I didn't check what his price is now. Like he could have been, have been, you know, priced out of like where you'd want to play him by now, but um, he's been playing very well. Pitts is just, he's just not putting up scores that you need. Um, this is the kind of matchup that you want, but like you could have argued that against some of the ones that he's not performed well in the last few weeks, you know, as well. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not super interested in this past game outside of maybe gauge um, and depending on, you know, where his ownership and price has gotten, I, I would, you know, be cautious, but it's just like one of those, like, eh, I'd be, I think Patterson, which, you know, we can get to in a sec is probably the best play out of anyone here. Um, irregardless of ownership, honestly, um, with gauge right behind him, but I, I'm not like just super interested in like any kind of Ryan stack here just because we've just seen such a limited ceiling and a very low floor from him this year. Yeah. Just real quick before I throw it to you, Jess, like, <laughs> yeah, looking through Ryan's scores, I mean, that's gotta, gotta be some type of record to have like that many single digit scores or like at least scores under <clears throat> it was, he hasn't scored over 14.44 DK points in the past six weeks, I think it was. And which is just like, 
absolutely insane for like a starting quarterback. I feel like, so yeah, that was just super interesting to me. Uh, but yeah, Jess thoughts on Matt Ryan and pass catchers. Yeah. Just to piggyback off of what you just said, he hasn't scored. He, he scored 31 in week nine and he hasn't scored more than 20 since then. Um, and I think it's maybe even 14, like you're saying, but, uh, and the lions defense, basically they, they ask you to run against them. They're, they're only allowing the 20th most DK points to quarterbacks because you don't really need to throw to beat them. Uh, and kind of one of the things that stands out to me here is neither team. And I think, uh, Lex already said this, neither team has a pass rush. So we're looking at adjusted sack rates, the number 32 and 31 defenses and adjusted sack rate, which gives us Detroit has the number one net adjusted sack rate on offense and Atlanta has the number two on offense. So we're, we're looking at two teams that aren't really going to get a rush against them, but both teams pretty much let you run against them. So it's going to be kind of interesting how this game plays out. And when we originally were selecting games, when I was looking at this one, I was looking at it more from the running game perspective. I, I feel like that's kind of where we're going to want to go here. But, but once we get to the Detroit side, there, there's been <laughs> news that kind of changes that up a little bit. But talking about the receivers, right? So we got Taze Sharp might be out. So that just leaves Gage, Sapias, and Blake at wide receiver. So this is really, it's you've already got a narrow target distribution on this offense. And with uh, Sharp being out, not that he was hogging anything, it just means that, I mean, it, it, Ryan's probably going to look more to Gage, Pitts, Patterson more than he normally would. Um, kind of going off of, so Atlanta does face the second softest net DSR matchup based on last week's numbers, if we want to put any weight on those. Atlanta projects for the second most tight end targets this week with 8.7. So I really do like Kyle Pitts and the, uh, the beats have been kind of talking him up this week. This could be finally the week where he breaks out because Detroit doesn't really have linebackers and safeties that, that cover tight ends. Well, that, uh, where are we at with Detroit? Yeah, they're, they're kind of middling 13.3 on my chart for, uh, PPR points, which is just kind of a, a neutral matchup. But I, I think this could be a good spot for Pitts. Uh, and the, uh, the reason I think that too is Atlanta projects for the fewest wide receiver targets this week, fourth fewest on the outside, third fewest in the slot. So if we're looking at 17 targets going to the wide receivers and 8.7 going to the tight ends, I kind of would expect at least eight, if that's, if we're rounding up to nine, at least eight of those targets are probably going to Kyle Pitts, which might be the most out of anybody on the offense this week. Uh, and he has that upside. Looking at tight end this week, I mean, I, I love Gronk. I'm probably going to end up on Gronk, but we do have Kyle Pitts is a little bit cheaper. He's only $400 cheaper, and he's kind of in this like little dead zone after that as far as tight ends go in pricing because <clears throat> the next guy is 500 cheaper. But he's probably going to go super low owned, which would be interesting from an ownership perspective. Now, I don't know that I'm really going to roster Pitts. I'm just saying, like, especially for people that play a lot of lineups, uh, I would think Pitts is worth putting in your pool. Um, I may consider him if I don't pull the trigger on Gronk or uh, Andrews, but I don't know. There's it, it, going to, to Matt Ryan, not interested. Looking at his pass catchers, it's down to basically Pitts engage and then Patterson. And maybe Mike Davis. I mean, he's gotten a few targets the past few weeks now, too. Like, he's been. 
looking at uh, target-wise between him and Patterson. He's been catching up to Patterson and kind of siphoning off some of his points out of the passing game lately. Yeah, I was just going to say, because I had some pretty heavy pessimism on Ryan earlier. I think his, like, stacking Ryan with those guys, like a Gage or Pitts or Patterson or Davis or whatever, um, or two of them, I think that to me is only interesting if golf plays. I, I just don't see him getting enough volume if it's like Boyle. Um, at least that's how I'm viewing the game uh, most likely to happen. I just, I just think that Detroit's, you know, you're, they're so being, like I mentioned before, like you can attack them on the ground or to the air pretty effectively. So there's no like passing spike that you would expect here, unless Detroit obviously makes this more of a shootout, which like, I actually think golf is capable of doing Detroit's had some nice games that they where they've been able to put up points. So I think golf here is a big part of whether I'd be interested in Ryan at all. And even having said that, I don't know how interested I am, but I do think those stacks are more viable in a game where Goff's playing and Detroit's weapons as well are more viable in like stacks. Yeah, I can, I can say I'm not, I'm not interested in Ryan whatsoever here, <laughs> but I mean, it, it would be different if I was playing 150 lineups, maybe I'd have them in some places, but yeah, I, the pits thing is hard for me because I was kind of nodding my head over here. Jess, when you were talking, I want to like him a lot for all those reasons. Think that, you know, he's still, despite him not actualizing it this year, I think he does still have a solid season. He just, because Calvin Ridley hasn't been in there, he hasn't, you know, they, they, the other teams just haven't had to, defend anybody else really. And so they've been able to double Kyle Pitts. I do think he has a shot at a better game in this spot, but the volume thing is just hard. Cause you know, like we talked about with both Gronk and Andrews, it's like those guys are the chance of them seeing double digit targets is so high and it's so low for, for Pitts unless this game does turn into a shootout. And, that, and again, it's not to say you can't get there with sharp being out and stuff. I think, you know, eight to 10 targets, we wouldn't be surprised if he ends up there. Like it is possible, but I don't think it's the most likely I would be interested in if I was creating rosters that were Detroit scoring, because in that, in that uh, instance, I would be interested in, and then just to kind of reemphasize what you said for mass multi-entry, I would definitely have some pits exposure here just because he does have ceiling. It's not a tough matchup. Um, you know, they could potentially score their points through him, but I think we did it there for the receivers or pass catchers, I should say. So let's talk about the backfield here. Lex, you had kind of said before Patterson is kind of the, the player most interested in on this side of the ball. And I, I agree with that. So thoughts on, on him. Yeah. I don't think Detroit's run defense is like as bad as the perception sometimes seems like it is. But um, they're certainly not strong on against running backs. Patterson's had a couple of like not quite as big games as he was, you know, he was having when he was scoring all those touchdowns. But um, you know, they've had some tough matchups of late. So I think this is like a one where it kind of opens back up for him. Like he, you know, a few weeks ago had that big game against Jacksonville. And I can see, you know, something like that. Now the problem with Patterson is you're still relying on pretty like it, you're not getting the kind of usage that you would hope for at like where he's been priced up to now. Um, 
but he's been such an efficient player and he's against the defense that as a whole has just not been super efficient at stopping guys that I just find him interesting here. If he maintains a level of like low popularity, low ownership, um, if he starts to creep up, I'm not sure how interested I'd be just because he is such a touchdown dependent player at his price, just based on the volume that he gets. Um, I just find this spot interesting in terms of like which Atlanta guys do I think can be successful. And I think that all three of those guys have chance to, you know, engage Pitts and Patterson and maybe Davis pray for my, my best ball team. You know, one of those event, you know, surviving, I pray for Davis, but um, <laughs> I think those three are certainly the guys I'd be looking to. Um, I think all of them are interesting. Like I said before, in some kind of overall game stack here with Detroit stuff. Um, you can make arguments for any of them as one-offs just because the distribution has now shrunk so much to just those guys. Um, but I, even when I said I was excited about Patterson earlier, like, I, I don't know how much of that, I, it's hard. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how excited I am. Like, I, I guess I, it probably made it sound like I was more excited before than I actually am just because his volume is still very questionable. Um, but it's, if you're going to play Patterson, these are the kind of spots that are obviously, you know, easiest for him. Um, but again, if his ownership creeps up, then I'd be like, no, thanks. Yeah. And I'm worried with, uh, Mike Davis's role, like kind of gaining a little bit of steam, like yeah. how much he would end Patterson, but I do have, I, I have Pitts and Patterson as the two I'm most interested from this game is when I wrote up my notes, um, Detroit allows the, the fourth most DK points to running backs. And we can look at an example from what just was it last week, uh, week before last when they played Denver, who's kind of a similar team as far as the offense goes. They don't, they don't really throw out to their receivers that much. Um, and Gordon and Javante Williams carried the ball 39 times for 184 yards and three touchdowns. So it's kind of interesting that there may be room for both Patterson and Davis to have a good game, or at least if Davis is eating into Patterson's workload, then that could give us room for Patterson still emerge with a good game, even with Davis siphoning off some of that production. Um, Atlanta does project for the sixth most rush attempts with 27.5. If this game ends up being where both teams are just playing the ground game and grinding it out, then we can definitely see Patterson hit at his cost, uh, maybe not a four X, but maybe like a three, three and a half, like he can keep you on track, but, uh, this would still require, like, I still haven't done too much analysis on the whole slate. So just looking at other running backs in his area and Swift is in his area, but yeah, <clears throat> there's not a, a whole lot that I like on the Atlanta side, but Patterson is, is something that's at least in, he's going to make my early week player pool anyway. What's, what's Davis priced at? Uh, let's see. He is 49. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I was just going to say like kind of the flip side of what you were saying with Patterson there. It's like, cause yeah, with that, the, like the Broncos attack last week, especially if Atlanta saw that and was like, Ooh, well, we can do the same thing this week, which I think is much more likely than them having this passing volume as we're kind of talking about there. But the, like, obviously that gives Patterson room to produce, but at the same token, it kind of gives Davis the some room to produce as well. And at a lower price, if he's the guy who sneaks into touchdowns, the problem with him is that 
like they just don't have the run blocking. And so Patterson's been able to do stuff in space, whereas Davis has had a role. He just can't create like Patterson has. And so this is one of those spots where I think either of those guys is viable. I'm not kind of what you were saying, Lex, I'm not excited about either one of them, but just because I think it's most likely that they do just try to, you know, really run it to him like on the ground here that uh, there's, there's potential there price price considered, but I still don't think either guy has like that. Uh, I guess ceiling is there. floor is kind of. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm looking at Davis's scores this year. I mean, like a good game for him has been like 13 points. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, Jamal Williams on the other side, if Swift doesn't play is like basically the same price. Um, you know, Ramondre Rojo, like I know there's like price guy. I just Edmonds is even cheaper than what's just been Davis. Like I, I just don't, I'm not interested. And I, I actually like all the things you said. I, I think that he can have a decent game. I just don't, I just don't know if he can have a game. That's like helping you win a tournament. You know what I mean? But um, if, if I could be totally if he was going to be, just, yeah, if he was going to be 4,300 or 4,200, then I was going to be like, okay, I could like see where I would. But as soon as Jess said 4,900, I'm like, really? Like, ugh. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to yeah. go there. What was funny was he was the one I was most looking forward to researching in this game. Like when we were picking the game, I'm like, this could be like a game where Mike Davis just has an out of nowhere game. But the more I look at it, like, his his recent workloads are so weak. And since the beginning of the year, let's see, he was up until week five, he was getting pretty heavy workload. He was, you know, priced in the mid to low 5,000s. But now he's back being priced similar. And his only solid workload was his Carolina revenge game with 11 carries and six targets. Like everything else is last week, six attempts, one target, four, and then... uh in week 13 versus Tampa, four attempts, four targets. That those three in a row of four targets and then that six target game, like kinda is interesting. But yeah, it's it's just tough. I was disappointed when I dug into this and I was kind of hoping to like Mike Davis <laughs> and he's he didn't make it. <laughs> so the, the moral of the story is don't play Mike Davis, kids. <laughs> or do, because I've decided to write him off. No, well, he's that de- he's definitely going to carry me into the next round of underdog without Eckler if Eckler doesn't play. So it's going to happen. I'm speaking it into existence. There, there we go. <laughs> All right. I think we talked enough about Atlanta there. Let's go to the Detroit side of the ball. The, the one thing that was kind of interesting to me here is like, I, I noted like everybody gave up on Jeff Wilson after two down weeks. And then he ran over the Atlanta defense. Now, say that slightly tongue in cheek, like he just made it over hundred yards. He still, you know, it was one touchdown. It wasn't anything crazy, but the, you, you can get it done on the ground versus Atlanta, I guess is what I'm saying here. We've got a, a really interesting situation talking about this offense as Jess alluded to before felt a little different when we initially picked this game, but now that uh, we're not really sure about golf, we're not really sure if, Swift could potentially be back. Uh, there's a couple things moving pieces here. So I don't know, either one of you guys want to try to take a stab at how 
this side of the ball is going to look. <laughs> yeah. So lions have the third lowest points per drive this year, but they're facing the team that allows the sixth highest. So this could be like a, a game where, and the lions actually have been playing a little bit better these past few weeks. Goff won that first game. And then he goes back and beats the Cardinals where he's normally pretty good. Um, and, and a lot does right on Goff. Uh, I'm not interested at all in this game. If Goff's not playing. Um, the running game, I'll kind of start there. Jamal Williams being back is awesome if he's the only back back there. But yeah. if Swift comes in, then we don't know, like, is Swift going to be on a snap count? What's his workload going to be like? What are they going to do with Craig Reynolds after he's been playing well? So we could be looking at this, like, three-headed monster in the backfield with those three guys this week. Whereas at the beginning of the year or, you know, up until Swift got injured, we were excited to play De- uh, DeAndre Swift. but his price at 6,300, like he's probably not going to live up to that. And this being his first game back, like I'm definitely in the wait and see, I'm not going to be the first one to to take a swing at it. Um, And the, the thing that, and I I really, (laughs) I wanted to like Swift this week too. Detroit projects for the second most running back targets. As I was mentioning earlier, when I was talking about Carolina 7.9, well, well that's Swift's job. So kind of hoping Swift misses this game. Jamal Williams is the targeted back. Like Jamal Williams splits carries with Craig Reynolds, but then he gets all the passing game work would be the ideal scenario for the backfield on this game. Um, And then if Swift comes back, we were talking about this free pot. If Swift comes back, he's putting a dent in all those pass catchers that just emerged. Like Amon Ross St. Brown has had three great games in a row. He was chalky last week and hit. Um, Goff plays, then he's got his old buddy Josh Reynolds there to throw the ball to. Uh, You've got A.J. Terrell playing stationary corner, so they can get both of those guys to easily avoid A.J. Terrell in the passing game. Um, Like, but if Swift's there, how much, how many of those short area targets does he take away from Brown? I think Reynolds would probably still have his role as the on the outside, but. I don't know. Uh, and then the other thing I was looking at too is tight ends have had some monster games against Atlanta this year. So I, I noted uh, scores of from the tight end room altogether, 19.6, 24.8, 34.5, and 29.1 in games against the Falcons this year. Brock Wright is minimum priced. So if Swift is out. There's another short area guy that could help you save some salary that uh, until last week, like he was starting to trend a little bit. He had three targets, then five targets. And then he faced the Cardinals defense, which is a void for tight ends. Like you just don't do anything with tight ends against Cardinals defense, which was funny because three years ago, they were the most targetable defense. Uh, they held him to one target. So he went three, five, one. If he gets back into that five target range and catches a touchdown or something, I mean, they're going to, both sides should be able to move the ball. There's no pass rush that's going to affect them. Neither team is particularly strong in any one area. Like each team, at least Atlanta has some pieces uh, with AJ Terrell, but they also have uh, one of their defensive tackles didn't practice today, uh, Tyler Davidson. And then uh, Deion Jones didn't practice either at linebacker, and he's kind of their coverage linebacker. So that's another, like this Brock Wright guy, he's kind of like Amir Abdullah for me. He's just on the peripherals, like as a really cheap salary saving piece that is in a good spot, whether or not he hits. I mean, there's definitely risk in this kind of a play, but it's just one of those ideas that that's out there. And he takes a hit if Swift plays. So I don't know the the Detroit offense 
comes down to me for is, is golf playing is swift playing and what do we do with that information like what how do we adjust accordingly yeah that was i mean i don't have too much more to add that i would say that like if swift and williams are playing it's it's just tough to obviously trust what the usage will be you know when neither is played in a while um so like that would worry me a bit and then even if it's just williams i think williams is definitely interesting but Reynolds has also played well. So like that is a little bit scary just because we don't really know what Williams usage is going to be. Um, but again, I guess that's how you capitalize on uncertainty. Um, but I, also Atlanta, even though they've been a weak rushing defense this year, like a lot of running backs have just had success. They haven't allowed actually too many like ceiling games on the ground to running backs. Um, so that's where a lot of where if you're getting usage to the air, that helps you get there. Like Jess has been saying, they project for a lot of targets. So if that's how you want to bet on, you know, Williams or, you know, Swift, like I, I do think the passing volume is going to be important here, um, which would, like just said, that would hurt St. Brown um, probably the most. He's the one, you know, getting a lot of those short targets. So those guys would eat into his work. Um, I think Reynolds is um, the wide receiver Reynolds. Josh Reynolds is a little bit less interesting this week, just because he's probably more likely to see Terrell um, than anyone else on the perimeter there. Um, I like the cheap tight end idea. Um, I think St. Brown is still probably the most interesting player just because he's getting so much volume. Um, but you just have to keep an eye on the running back statuses. Uh, but yeah, I don't have too much else to add from this offense, especially if obviously if Boyle's playing, then it's like it's untouchable almost. Um, but uh, yeah, I think just hit on everything that you need to know. I was just trying to close out my thoughts, but I, I don't really have much more to add beyond that. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. It's like if Swift is out, then both Jamal Williams and St. Brown are interesting to me. I think potentially, yeah, I don't know. I was going to say potentially could even play them together if they're a cheap block, but St. Brown's price may be going up a little bit after he's been producing some. Uh, but where, where is he at? 56. He was 52 last week. So it's a, it's a modest increase, but he's up to 56 now. Yeah. It's, it's too cheap for his role. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Cause I think the offense will run through those two guys. If Swift is out, I think the, just like kind of the, to, to like cap everything we've talked about, I think it kind of comes down to like what you were saying, Jess, the thing that's feels difficult to unravel here for me is like, there shouldn't be any real reason that these offenses should get stopped, but there is also not a ton to get excited about from like an explosive nature. So I could definitely see it being a game where they both score, you know, in the the twenties or something like that. And you get a couple guys that have solid scores, but nobody comes out with anything great. So I think Everything we talked about, I'm not super pumped, but pieces kind of like you were saying will still be on the fringe for me with Jamal Williams probably being my favorite, just price considered and his pass catching role. All right, guys, ready to call it and think that was uh, enough for Detroit Atlanta. (laughs) At least we talked about Detroit for the first time this year, right? I don't think we've covered them yet. (laughs) We had to, yeah, we had to try. There you go, Lions fans. We got one for you. All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging out. Uh, For Jess, for Lex, I'm Ben, and this has been the OWS 
First Peak Podcast. Hope to see you at the top of leaderboards this weekend.